Hello and welcome to the Compatible You podcast where we speak weekly about all things women's health in an attempt to break the stigma of what makes us us. So I know I say this every week but I'm again so excited to bring you all this week's episode of the Compatible You podcast. This is because we're going to explore some topics that I think a lot of women may be trying to navigate through and may be struggling with at the moment and that's in regards to their health transitions on their health and fitness journey as well as stepping out of, I guess, what society expects us as women to be. And my excitement for this episode also stems from my guest today, who's going to shed some incredible light on these topics we'll talk about. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce her as what I think is a best name and who I think a lot of you may know her as, and that's the fairy quad mother. I think that's absolutely amazing, but we'll talk about that later or otherwise known as Corinne Wooden. Now, when I was taking notes for how to exactly introduce you, I was like, uh, like, where do I begin? Because there's so much I could have written. So, you know, I'm just going to start by welcoming you and saying that it's so bloody good to have you on today's episode. We've got some great topics to talk about, but first I'm going to throw over to you to please introduce yourself in your own words to the listeners and tell us who you are, what you do, and your experiences in the health and fitness industry up to this point. Okay, so thank you so much, Emma, for having me. It's honestly a privilege to be on your podcast. Amazing introduction as well, by the way. Thank you. Um, So yes, (laughs) my name is Kryn. I've uh, also known as the Fairy Quad Mother on social media. Um, I've been involved in the health and fitness industry for the past four years now um, and have launched my own um, online coaching and in face-to-face personal training business, uh, Move for PT, last year in the midst of COVID, which was potentially a poor decision, but actually ended up being quite amazing. And I have such a wonderful coaching tribe with with my partner on board as well as my co-coach and um, strength and conditioning specialist and just the whole team of of clients is just fantastic and it's my own coaching experience thus far has also helped me grow into I guess where I am now in the health and fitness space but you know the question of what got me into fitness and how I got here is genuinely a very big and uh, heavily loaded question um do you want me to go through my whole story (laughs) Yeah, I reckon go for it because like I've followed for quite a long time um, before I reached out because you are my coach. I love that for everyone who's listening. Um, And yeah, (laughs) I think like obviously what we see on social media is I guess what we take it as, but I know that yeah, from watching you, you've gone through quite a big journey. So I think it would be extremely beneficial for the listeners to hear some of that if you're happy to share. Yeah, absolutely. So I think just to start things off, like like most women, I fell into the hashtag diet culture trap uh, quite early on and became a self-confessed cardio bunny. I actually fractured my tailbone riding a stationary bike too vigorously. So, you know, I was committed in, in year... <laughs> in year 12 I, I was walking around with yeah uh, in year 12 I was walking around with the donut cushion everywhere because I couldn't sit down properly um so that was an interesting experience um for, for years growing up I, I I was not overweight at any point in my life I was a very healthy well-balanced child I was active I did ballet I did swimming for 10 years and even then despite having that base of athleticism and sport I still thought I was fat 
I still thought I was ugly. I thought that my stomach was disgusting. I thought that my legs too big uh, were too big because I didn't have a thigh gap. And um, because of this, after high school, I actually committed uh, myself to weighing 45 kilos because I had an irrational belief that beautiful women my height had to weigh 45 kilos. And every podcast that I've been on, I've always attributed that to um, my weird obsession with Ariana Grande at the time. I thought that, you know, she was... She was 45 kilos. She was my height. If I wanted to look as beautiful as her, I thought, well, I better do the same thing. Wow. Um, so over the course of two, two and a half years, I, I lost 10 kilos. So I went from 55 to 45 and that made me unhealthily thin and, and very unwell. Um, I, I felt no better. Obviously I, I'd come into this perspective of, you know, if I weigh 45 kilos, I'll be happy. I'll be beautiful. I'll have a really good life. But of course, naturally, it didn't change anything that I was experiencing. And it, it really wasn't until I found the gym and, and weight training that my mindset around my body began to change. Um, after I you know, had lost all that weight, I, I had a, a very dramatic health event that occurred. And it, that was the major impetus that caused me to you know, strive, strive for the gym and get strong and lift weight and uh, avoid cardio the way that I had done then. I was I was doing cardio for up to two hours for six times a week. Um, and it was very grueling for me and, and unnecessary like it is for a lot of women who go through that experience. And um, now where I am now and where I've come from, it's, you know, I'm, I'm no longer fixated on at shrinking myself down and making myself small. I, I just want to make myself, I guess, bigger or more muscular in a way. And that in itself has had its own downfalls in the past and has, you know, with bodybuilding, it's produced some level of body dysmorphia to some extent. But at the same time, um, I would never want to go back to where I was. I would never want to adopt the mindset of shrinking myself down and desperately wanting to make myself small, feeling empowered and strong. And um, just, I want to be able to take up space, you know, and um, I, I've never looked back from then it's it's been such a whirlwind of a very short period of time in essence but still it's it's been quite a ride and we're still going we're still, still going it's always going. yeah definitely a journey that we're always working on and I think that's a thing a lot of women struggle with thinking I guess getting fixated on that weight or that specific number and thinking yeah everything's going to change like they're going to be confident they're going to accept and love their bodies but it's really not the case I guess especially from your experience yeah absolutely not and and weight is such an arbitrary number like where have we you know developed this weird fixation on certain numbers when really they don't mean nothing at all yes we have the uh, somewhat useless BMI scale very helpful in you know uh, obesity medical settings but not very helpful for ge everyday general population individuals um, but most people never need to be concerned about the number on the scale they only need to be concerned about the perception that they have of themselves and that that perception is a positive one and when people talk about confidence coming from losing x amount of weight well no confidence is a, is a state of mind it's often you know you might lose weight and feel more confident but oftentimes that's just because you've had a mindset shift it's not the weight itself 100 percent, and I think yeah that's something we definitely need to be talking about more just yeah definitely shifting our mindset from this number this weight loss journey because yeah there's so much more to it 
And I guess on that, you put up a post at the end of October that went pretty viral and for very good reasons. And that's pretty much like <laughs> I guess what you're talking about here about growing into yourself, taking up space and stuff like that. So would you be able to just explain that post in a bit more detail for the listeners who might not have seen it and talk about some of the barriers that you faced when you went on that specific journey that you talk about? Yeah, so I... I definitely know the post you're talking about. It kind of blew my mind how viral it went, but it was a side-by-side shot of, you know, where I was at 45 kilos to now where I am at 65 kilos, which in itself is quite shocking. If you had told me that in the space of three or four years, I'd weigh 20 kilos more, I would have just laughed and thought that was absolutely absurd. Um, but genuinely for as long as I could remember, i I believe that my worth was dependent on my weight. I thought that if I didn't have visible abs or petite shoulders and a thigh gap, that I, I wasn't worthy enough, that my, that my body wasn't good enough in quotation marks. Um, the thought of the scale increasing so much as two kilos freaked me out, which is just really upsetting because 45 kilos to 47 is very, very small jump. And now here I am now having gained 20 kilos and feeling so, so much better for where I'm at and I will say that it's incredibly terrifying going through a process of weight gain in a healthy way or in any sense just weight gain is quite terrifying especially when it is deliberate and conscious and we live in such a fat phobic society where the idea of putting on weight is is perceived as unhealthy Um, but my attitude was you know I didn't want to feel weak anymore I didn't want to feel sick anymore. I was so frustrated with over-exercising. I hated the fact that I was compensating for the food I had eaten uh, by over-exercising. I was stuck on, on addicted to laxatives for six years because I believed that if I just took a laxative, it would make it go away. Mm. Um, and I hated that I was depriving myself of nourishment. And looking back at my body then and the way I felt then, it genuinely makes me so sad because to see my little self and knowing that then I thought that I was overweight is so frustrating. Um, But genuinely, I encourage so many women just for the sake of your health, your well-being, and your relationship with yourself, you need to do the scary thing. And, you know, I don't don't care how much praise people get for being thin. I I don't care how rewarded you feel for restricting yourself to clean foods because we do tend to feel quite happy with ourselves in a weird way um you know it's you will run yourself into the ground and none of it is worth it there is no joy in feeling like you can't go out with your friends or enjoy a meal with your family there's no joy in starving yourself to be able to hang out with your friends at a pool party which is what I did a lot and I was so proud of myself when I would only eat an apple for breakfast um you know it's and it's not like choosing weight gain is uh, saying that you'll never love your body because you've gained weight. No, 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 no. It's I'm not asking. I'm not asking anyone to gain ten kilos overnight. It's a very st- slow and, and steady process, and it it takes some time and it takes a lot of mental energy. But you know, if you want to feel happy and confident within yourself, don't reduce yourself down. You know, continue to give give weight gain a chance because, uh, as I said in my post, it it will most likely make your life that much better, just like it did for mine. 
Um, yeah. It's quite emotional um, listening to you talk about this because I think, well, for myself and I think all, pretty much all of the listeners can kind of resonate with, if not all, like some of the things you're talking about. And it's quite powerful mm. because, like, I guess I think about my own experiences with that um, and just, yeah, thinking that shrinking yourself down is going to make you happier, but all the, like, not just the health consequences of it, but just not living your life and just you know when you're older we're not going to look back and think oh thank goodness I like you said only had an apple for breakfast or thank god someone um exactly my body like we're not going to do that and like it's easy for I guess us to say who have been through that you know navigated all those um you know hard barriers hard journeys and stuff like that but I guess what advice would you give to women who are kind of struggling to take up that space and I guess struggling to see that light at the end of the tunnel? Well, having worked with now quite a few clients who've been through eating disorders or just disordered relationships with food or their bodies, uh, one of the things that I keep coming back to with them is just um, disrupting their faulty cognitions and their somewhat disordered beliefs that they have around themselves. And we do a lot of body image work, uh, body image uh you know, addressing one's body image and the belief that my body equals my worth is Mm -hmm. an important thing to, you know, decompartmentalize. And um, I think something that I do really resonate with is the notion that um, your body is an instrument, not an ornament. You don't exist to satisfy the aesthetic or visual pleasures of others or yourself. Like the perception that we have of ourselves is so often just an internalized belief of what others expect of us um similarly having a good body image and a good relationship with ourselves is acknowledging that your body is always valuable as it is regardless of how you look regardless of your muscle size regardless of any of those things but also your appearance is the the least interesting thing about you like no one chooses to be your friend because you have a great looking ass like I'm not going to go and make friends with someone just because they have a a quote-unquote fit body I choose my friends because of their soul of their kindness their compassion their humor like the appearance is the last thing anyone really thinks about and yet it's all we think about Mm. so it's never the individual's body that's the problem it's just our self-obsessed and image obsessed culture that we live in that places such unrealistic demands on ourselves and when we can start to destabilize what society what all that means we can then come to an understanding of, you know, none of this is my fault. I don't have to worry about this myself. And everyone else can, you know, take that on their chin and, and go to town, but it's not my, my problem. My body is is good just as it is. And I don't owe anyone anything. 100%. And I think we do need to be, I guess, like empathetic with ourselves and give ourselves a break because like from birth, we literally surrounded by stuff telling us that, you know, it's about what our bodies look like. You, your body's a project. You need to constantly working on it to see what society wants you to look like now. Like, yeah. it's not easy. We're pretty much set up to fail. But the more we talk about it, bring awareness to, like you're saying, the fact that our body isn't what makes us who we are, the better off we're going to be. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, talking about the, I guess, you know, the ideal constructed idea of what a woman's body should look like, I think, yeah, you definitely do a lot of work about taking the, 
I guess, idea that that's what our bodies need to look like and challenging the norm. So can you talk to me a little bit about that and steering away from um, the compliments of the bodies? Yeah, absolutely. So it's quite interesting as well because we, in the fitness industry, we've got little pockets that are quite neat. So you've got people who are really obsessed with the bodybuilding side of things, the powerlifting side of things, and there's everyone in between. But when you're in that, each sector, it's all very different. So the ideal body, depending on each group, is very different. I do not have the ideal body um, for a, a, a general person who's a model or, or any, anyone in that kind of realm. You know, the people that you see in magazines or on the catwalk, that's not my body. But my body is, quote unquote, ideal for the niche of bodybuilding or powerlifting. So it's, it's quite a unique concept to consider that we all have different ideals in different sectors and in different niches um but I actually for my honors thesis and for my PhD I write a lot about the female body and where this ideal came from and it's really just kind of frustrating to think back on how the ideals of the female body have changed over time and also being able to look at that and consider well because the ideal is always changing we can think about that as it being very frivolous it's very short term. It's not something that lasts for a very long time, thereby providing further evidence for the fact that the female body, there's no set ideal. There's no universal construct of what the female body should, quote unquote, look like. It's constantly changing. We've had, we have Kim Kardashian and her big butt, and now we have it kind of more quad dominant. And back in the day, we had stick thin twiggy and it's, yeah. everything is constantly changing. It's almost like every 10 years, there is a new ideal body. But even then, that ideal is shifted into different niches and categories. And we're constantly surrounded by different versions of what is, quote unquote, the best. But I think that in itself should demonstrate just how frivolous this idea even is. I love that. Yeah, definitely. So when we do feel that pressure of, oh, we have to look like this, it's just taking that step back and being like, come on. Like, there's so many, like, people are telling us different things. It's always changing let's just look at our bodies as more than just our bodies and accept who we are. But as, as no, it's easier said than done in a way, but (laughs) yes, definitely. hundred percent. On that though, I want to congratulate you on getting into your PhD study because yep, like I said, I've been following you for some time, one of those cheerleaders in the background um, and yeah, have seen the heart and soul you've put into your study. So for those listeners, are you able to talk about your study background, any challenges you found yeah. I guess, like running your business and doing all of this and also about your PhD <laughs> if you're able to? Yeah, so I graduated with my Bachelor of Arts majoring in English and Theatre Studies and Media Communications in 2019. I 2019 was probably the year where I really got into fitness. That was the year where I had first decided to um, compete in bodybuilding. That was when I was, you know, preparing my body. And so that was an interesting experience, but I started my undergrad degree with no interest in fitness whatsoever. So it's an interesting comparison, I suppose, to whenever I talk about my Bachelor of Arts, people always look at me like, oh, but you're in fitness. And I'm like, yes, (laughs) but I have other interests. Um, So I took a gap year after that in 2020 to figure out what I wanted to write my 15,000 word honours thesis on, um, because it's a little difficult when you're still completing your third year and being asked to write a proposal uh, for what you'd like to address with 15,000 words. And I eventually decided on post-humanist feminism, which sounds very wanky and 
and very confusing. <laughs> um, but essentially, <laughs> essentially, post-humanist feminism, it critiques the universal idea of man and the human as the alleged measure of all things. Um, mm. And it criticizes human essentialism, which is the preferencing of the human above all else. Um, so that ties very nicely into me writing about women, mostly because we're constantly looking at uh, how women are different to men, how women are the other of society. Um, I'm very lucky to be returning to university this, this year to write my doctoral thesis on the same topic, albeit from a different dimension. So uh, I'm writing on a, a gallery of wonderfully good bad girls, which is I, I love working on titles for things. It just makes me so happy. But um, so I'll be examining how literature, theatre, film and society as a whole seek to destabilise what it means to be woman. So uh, coming back to the fact that woman is often aligned with animal, demon, creature, everything that is other from society. And man, human is just the essence of what is society. And we're, we're trying to figure out how to destabilize that and break that down and um, find a way for women to be actually perceived as more equal in our current society. That is incredible. I, yeah, oh my goodness. I'm excited to see how that comes along. How long does it take for you to complete that study or is it kind of different for every um, doctorate? It's, I think most doctorates go for four years. So this is 3.5 to four years. However, in literature, literature students are uh, unfortunately well known for taking too long. So yeah. I have my fingers crossed that I'll actually have my thesis done in four years. I don't want to take longer than that. Um, but this year is mostly coursework and establishing, you know, the basis for my thesis, writing another proposal, uh, making sure that I know where I'm going. And I'm very, very lucky to have the supervisors that I have on board, they are fantastic women in the field of, of, of feminist studies, which is fantastic. And um, I am very, very excited to just dive straight in. This is something that I've always wanted to write a book and 80 to 100,000 words is essentially a book. So I'm kind of ticking off that goal with this one and being able to also apply this in some unique ways to my coaching is always very surprising, but in incredibly rewarding. Yeah, that's incredible. And I, I hope you document this on your social media because I think, yeah, a lot of us will definitely be hanging out and supporting you in the background as you take on this venture. Oh, thank you. So I just wanted to talk about um, another topic before we finish up, and that's about the topic of prioritising our mental health. And I wanted to talk about this because I think often we sometimes get caught up in that cycle of what we need to be eating or how we're meant to be exercising and all that kind of stuff that we really forget to give ourselves a break mentally. So I feel like this area could be yeah. an episode within itself, but I was just wondering if you could give us- Of course, yeah. About, um, prioritizing mental health. Um, Cause I found this quote, which said mental health days are sick days. And I think I loved that because we do kind of, I guess, think of sick days as has to be physical sick, but we kind of don't think too much about our mental health. Mm. So yeah, just bouncing off of each other. Can you talk to me about what you do and your thoughts on prioritizing mental health? Yeah. So I think you know, I'm a, I'm a big mental health advocate. I've dealt with mental health issues for the past seven years and have absolutely no shame in saying that I'm currently medicated. They're what work for me and they make me function 
partner to continue with my work and also have the capacity to give myself uh, space to actually work on uh, my coping strategies. So, you know, I think one of the ways that we often don't prioritize mental health is by confusing mental health with self-care. Um, you know, self-care is not the same thing as prioritizing your mental health is not prioritizing your mental health it, it can help but it's not really doing the hard work that is involved to actually can take care of your mental health um you know we saw a psychologist we openly uh speak about our feelings with loved ones we actually sit down to spend time with our thoughts and emotions we take medication we do the hard work that to me it, bubble baths aren't really uh a mental health tool there to help be helpful in terms of looking after ourselves but they don't really prioritize mental health um the way that we should um we should be sourcing a psychologist we should openly speaking about feelings with loved ones um, and what i do also think it's quite interesting is that because we live in quite a hustle and production culture we're constantly doing things and we're taken away from our own space and our sit with our thoughts and our feelings and how we're receiving situations so something I did over the, the drought of COVID in Victoria was importance of down importantly not being not being productive taking time to adjust myself in my yeah I love what you were talking about in um the lockdown where it's like not continuing to just okay I've done this what are we doing next what are we doing next just slowing down because I think yeah like you said that hustle is real yeah it's and um a, a very attractive uh mindset to have but also quite toxic in the sense that we don't give ourselves the time uh to actually breathe and I did want to go on and ask you as well um how do you take care of your mental health because everyone has different strategies that they enjoy I you know I prefer to speak to my psychologist relatively regularly I like to practice grounding and journaling when I know that I need to brain dump um, and I also take medication as, as referenced but um how do you look after your mental health 100% I definitely agree that everyone has different methods and it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all so I'm also medicated because I found that I was struggling with my anxiety and I think not yeah being able to slow down like the brain was just constantly going and going and I think yeah reaching out for professional help from a psychiatrist that definitely helped as well I mean like it wasn't an easy thing to do because there is that I think still that stigma around mental health and seeking help but I just like from my experience in my career um, and you know family experiences and stuff like that the I think negative side of not speaking out is so much worse than like speaking out and feeling that stigma so that's one side of how I cope with it and I guess yeah the other is I do also like journaling getting the thoughts out but to be honest, I think like just, yeah, grounding myself and giving myself time to rest, like that's been a struggle, but something as simple as just, you know, stopping, you know, running my business, doing my other work and just like watching TV, like just to slow down, like that's really beneficial for my mental health. Clocking off for the reasonable hour, I think is quite important, especially for anyone who runs their own business. You want to make sure that you do set some set business hours sometimes. Otherwise, you could be there replying to messages at 11 o'clock at night. And, and frankly, that's not healthy. 
Um, and I also really enjoy what you said about, you know, the stigma around mental health because it, it is there and it's very apparent at times. And, but like you said as well, the, there is so much value in stepping out of the stigma and um, just acknowledging that the negative side effects of you sitting with your trauma or your anxiety or your depression and not addressing it is so much worse than copying some of that stigma. But as we continue to talk about it um, and talk about being medicated and talk about seeing psychologists and psychiatrists and doing all this uh, sometimes quite difficult work, hopefully the less it will be stigmatized. 100%. And I think, yeah, on that, like we're with our brains 24 seven, like it's not like we can really check in and check out like we do in so many different areas of our life. So I think we need to start, I guess, realizing that we're capable and worthy of having that, not necessarily like a clear mind, like it's not always going to be, you know, those smooth sailing, but just having that break from, I guess, a toxic and sometimes lonely place your brain can be sometimes, like you are worthy of seeking help, receiving help and getting yourself back on track because, yeah, it's it's from personal experience, once I, you know, spoke up about problems, once I got, you know, a treatment plan that worked for me, like it's, yeah, I haven't looked back and really wondered why I didn't do it earlier. Yeah, it's, I've now been seeing uh, the same psychologist for three years. But before that, I was seeing, I saw about four different psychologists over the course of my mental health journey. And it's always really important to find someone that fits with you and find strategies that actually align with you and uh, with what actually provides you comfort and assistance. And once you find that one thing or that, you know, that and those uh, tools in your toolbox, uh, it definitely helps to provide you with the necessary coping strategies to deal with whatever it is you have coming up in your life. 100%. And I'm pretty sure this needs to be an episode in the future because I feel like we could talk about this for ages. And I think it is a topic that we definitely do need to talk about more. No, absolutely. There's, there's so much to talk about with regards to mental health and so much that gets pushed under the rug. And um, yeah, it would be, I think it'd be really exciting if you could uh, wiggle a psych- psychologist onto your podcast to talk about that in the future. That would be amazing. I would definitely tune in for that. 100%. That is, I'm literally writing that down in my notes um, book as we're speaking, because that sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much for jumping on and sharing your story, talking about some of those difficult topics to talk about. Can you just let the listeners know where they can find you on social media in relation to your social media, as well as your move for your PT business? So I'm very accessible on social media. I'm just Corinne Wooden um, on Instagram and for uh, my personal training business and online coaching, it's at move for you PT. So all very simple, easy links to follow. Um, but you can also just search the fairy quad mother into Instagram and it, and it should definitely pop up. <laughs> definitely love that. And I will add your details to the bottom um, for the introduction and description of this podcast, because yeah, I think, yeah, sharing strong women and women who are taking up space is absolutely vital in this day and age. So thank you for sharing everything. And I hope all the listeners got um, some insight and can learn to reduce the stigma and shame about what makes us us.